This is uh, Savid, uh, Samuel David Mitchell. Uh, he was born on June the 15th, and uh, just a couple weeks ago, 8 pounds, 6 ounces, 20 and a half inches long, and uh, he is such a joy and delight. Um, Kayla and I are just overjoyed um, in God's provision of, of a son, a healthy son, and uh, we, are, we are so, so thankful and so, so blessed. Um, after he was born, uh, I, I went over to the table where they were kind of getting some fluid out of his lungs and stuff and just put my, my finger in his hand, and he just wrapped his hand around my finger, and just in that moment, my heart just melted, you know, just thankful to the Lord uh, for this beautiful gift. Uh, and the first time I got to hold him and look in his eyes and tell him I love him so much, uh, it was just such a special moment. Uh, words can't even describe it. And, uh, and just so, so thankful uh, that God has provided us uh, with the son and, uh, you know, that he's made us a family of three. Uh, the first time that the three of us were alone together, uh, just, you know, praising God and tearing up, thank, thanking him for uh, his provision and, and making us a family of three. Um, so Samuel has been such a joy, uh, such a delight. Uh, we are so, so blessed and so, so thankful to the Lord uh, for him. I'm going to hand him off for, for now. Oh. Not only has uh, Samuel been a joy, but he has also uh, been all-consuming. So 24-7... <laughs> Uh, you know, giving him care, uh, you know, changing his diapers, uh, Kayla feeding him, um, you know, putting his pasty back in his mouth after he dropped it just three seconds before that. Um, you know, so constant attention. Uh, you know, we're obviously looking over his whole body, uh, looking at his rashes, his dry skin, uh, just looking at every single body part, making sure that he's good, making sure that he's healthy. And so uh, we're, we're just... Uh, observing every square inch of him, making sure that he is okay. And then, you know, while I'm gone, you know, working and, you know, whether here at the church building or at a coffee shop or whatever it may be, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking about them, uh, just in my thoughts, just wishing I was with them and uh, missing them. And so Kayla will send me pictures and, and remind me, you know, hey, we miss you. And so uh, just 24-7, you know, all-consuming, just uh, it's completely changed our lives, as, as you guys know, that are parents. And so, um, although he, he needs our constant attention and care, uh, he is such a joy, such a delight, such a blessing, and uh, we are so, so thankful for him. And as we take a look at Psalm 119, 17 through 24, we're going to see a similar idea that Kayla and I, the, the mindset that Kayla and I have for, for Samuel, he's such a joy, he's all-consuming, and in a similar but even far greater way, we are to have that same mindset as we look at the Word of God. We are to be overjoyed, to delight in the Scriptures. And it is to be all-consuming. It is to be on our minds all day, every day, throughout the day. So as we look at this Scriptures, let's just have that uh, mindset that, that, man, we are to delight in the Word of God and we are to be all-consumed by the word of God. Let's look, take a look at Psalm 119, 17 through 24. This is the word of God, church. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed 
with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Would you please pray with me, church? Lord, we do acknowledge that the very book that we hold in our hands is your word. It is your breath that you have breathed out, that you have given to your people, that we might know who you are, that we might, that we might know your plan of redemption through your son, Jesus Christ, that we might worship you and delight in you with all of our being. And so God, would that be true of us this morning? Would you take your word and would you cause us as a church to be happy in you, to delight in you above all else? God, you are worthy and it is in you alone that we find our true joy and true satisfaction. So would you do that in us this morning? We pray in faith in Jesus' name, amen. There are nine references to, in these eight verses, to God's word. And we see it in all eight verses at least once, um, and, and one of the verses twice. And the psalmist uses six different words to describe God's word to us. He, he says, your word, law, commandments, rules, testimony, statutes, all six of these are used to describe God's word. And so, first of all, I want to make clear and make sure that we're all on the same page is that the scriptures are the word of God. The scriptures that we hold in our hands, they are the word of God. They are the breath of God. Let's look again at these, starting in verse 17, mentioning all of the the, um, descriptions of God's word. Your word, your law, verse 19, your commandments, verse 20, your rules, verse 21, your commandments, 22, your testimonies, 23, your statutes, 24, your testimonies, and they, as a reference to the scriptures, are my counselors. Your scriptures are my counselors. So all of these references are referring to the word of God. So it's God's word, the yours referring to God, God's word, God's law, God's commandments, God's rules, God's testimonies, and God's statutes. So all of these are a reference to the self-revelation of God, which is the word of God. And although during this time of the, that the psalmist wrote this, this was a reference to the Old Testament, uh, we now know we have the full canon of Scripture. We have Old and New Testament, and, and we know that all of those tie together, and they are all the word of God. The Bible is a collection of God's words, 66 books. And so when we see... All of those words, these descriptions of God's word, we know that it is a reference to this whole entire book, the word of God, the Bible. And so that, uh, the main point of the scriptures of this book is to reveal to us who God is and also his plan of redemption to save his people. And, and so if the Bible is all about God and all about his redeeming work, then we ought to uphold, we ought to revere, we ought to delight in, we ought to obey these words. The Word of God reveals to us who God is, and one part of that is the fact that it reveals to us God's standard. 
So the, the word of God reveals God to us, and a part of that is the fact that he reveals his standard to his people. And so disobedience to the scriptures, to the word of God, it leads to uh, punishment. Disobedience to the scriptures, it leads to punishment. Let's look at verses 21 and 22 again. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones, who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. So in these verses, we see the judgment of God, and whenever we see the judgment of God, we know that the holiness of God is related, tied in right there with it. Because there's a judgment, there's a punishment, because there is this holy God, his perfect nature. And so the word of God reveals the holiness of God, and that is what leads to punishment for those who disobey the word. For God to be holy, it means that he is set apart. He is distinct from his people. He is perfect in every way. Uh, He is transcendent, so he is above us, and we are below him. We are these small creatures who have sinned and rebelled against him, and he is this perfect creator God over everything. He's set apart from us. The standard of God, thus, is perfection. There's no blemishes. There's no deficiencies. There's no impurities. There's just perfection in God. And so those who disobey the word in the slightest must suffer the punishment of God because we cannot worship a holy God whenever we are sinners, whenever we are dead in our sins and trespasses. In these verses, he says uh, that, uh, that God rebukes the insolent. He rebukes the insolent. Uh, an insolent person is, is a wicked person who's characterized by being presumptuous. They may not know the boundaries, or they may ignore the boundaries, and then they just cross them. They presume on who God is. This could describe somebody who presumes on God's grace and says, uh, I can live however I want because God is gracious. He's loving. Or maybe somebody says, man, there couldn't be a God who would punish people, right? They're just, he's a loving God. And, and so how, how could he be a God who punishes people? Or maybe it's somebody who doesn't even believe in God, and they just presume themselves as God of their lives. There could be a variety of, of ways that this could play out. But in any, in any sense, God rebukes the insolent. He punishes the insolent. He goes on and says, The cursed ones who disobey the, Lord, the, the word. To be accursed is to, to have a, a divine harm or evil carried out upon you and put on you. And so those who disobey God's standard, they are punished. There is, there is this divine punishment that is carried out, this divine curse that is, that is put on those who disobey his word. God rebukes the insolent, and he curses those who disobey his word. And the truth of the matter is, that every single one of us in this room and every single person in this world has fallen short of God's standard. We have all been insolent. We have all disobeyed the word. And thus, we are all deserving of God's eternal punishment, which is separation from him in hell forever. But the good news is that the Father sent the Son to be scorned, and to be cursed on our behalf. Jesus was scorned and cursed 
on behalf of sinners to provide eternal life. He was scorned and he was cursed on our behalf that we might have eternal life. For Jesus to be scorned, it means that he was disgraced. He was taunted. He was reviled or he was shamed. I can think of no better example of this than in Jesus' trial leading up to his crucifixion. If you look at Matthew 27, 27 through 31, if you want to turn there quickly, you can. Uh, Matthew 27, 27 through 31 says this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Wow. He was stripped of his clothes. He was spit upon, mocked, put a crown of thorns on his, on his brow. How humiliating must that have been? I mean, imagine if somebody, a group of people did that to you, stripped you down, put you in this robe and, and crown of thorns to, to mock you. How humiliating would that be? And how painful would that be? How would you feel in that situation? That's what our Savior did. Jesus was scorned and he was cursed on our behalf for sinners like us. He went through that with us, his people on his mind. And ultimately, we know that Jesus was hung on a tree. He was hung on a tree. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is a quotation from Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. And it, it was a description of the law for those that committed a crime that was punishable by death. They were hung on a tree, but they were to be taken down that day because they were seen as a curse. They were seen as a curse for the people and for the land. And so they didn't want them to stay on the tree overnight. And so this is, this is what Jesus did. He became a curse for us. Although he was completely innocent, perfect in every single way, he died a sinner's death. He was scorned and he was cursed on our behalf. And in his death on the cross, he died as our substitute. He took our dirty, filthy garments, our unrighteousness, our sin, and he gave us his perfect, spotless righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Jesus' curse led to our blessing. And his death made a way for us to have life. How amazing, how precious is that to us? We've all fallen short of God's standard. But Jesus 
perfectly fulfilled the word of God, perfectly fulfilled the law of God, perfectly fulfilled God's standard. Turn to John 5, 37 through 47, and, and follow along with me as I read these, uh, these scriptures, these, these verses. In these, we're going to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the word. And leading up to this encounter with the Pharisees, um, Jesus has just healed a lame man. And, and the, the, the Pharisees have come to him and said, what are you doing healing somebody on the Sabbath? And so that's kind of what began this encounter with the Pharisees. And he goes on to talk about his authority within the Godhead and his function within the Godhead. And then a few verses before 37, he shares about how John the Baptist testified about him, but how there would be an even greater testimony to who he is. And that was the father testifying who the son was through the scriptures, through the word of God. So follow along with me in John 5, 37 through 47. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not know, you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Do not think that I will accurse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus calls out the Pharisees here because they think that they find eternal life in the scriptures, when in fact Jesus says the scriptures are about me, and it's only in me that you have eternal life. So if they truly understood the word, they would know that those Old Testament scriptures were pointing forward to a coming Savior who would perfectly fulfill the law, would be the suffering servant, dying on a Roman cross, and rising again on the third day. They would know that this, these scriptures were referring to him. For Moses wrote about him. And so if they believed Moses was the word of God, wrote the word of God, then they ought to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament, the Word of God, the law, by his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. And that is what he was getting at here. And so Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Word of God. He perfectly lived out God's standard on this earth. And because of that, his death, it was, it was full and sufficient payment for our sin. And then God accepted that payment on the third day when he rose from the dead. Okay, so so far we've established that the scriptures are the word of God. We've all disobeyed the word of God and thus we're deserving of 
God's punishment, but God has made a way, he has sent his son to perfectly live out this word and then dying as our substitute on the cross and then on the third day rising from the dead. And it is believing in that that we have eternal life. However, we ought not believe in Christ merely to just escape the punishment of God and to have eternal life. Rather, this this word brings about our greatest joy and delight. It brings about our true flourishing. And so that is also why we ought to delight in the scriptures, because it brings true joy and flourishing. Delighting in the scriptures brings true joy and flourishing. In these verses, we see two descriptions of the word. The first being that the word of God is extraordinary. The word of God is extraordinary or wondrous. And that's the word that the psalmist used here is wondrous things. But open my eyes and I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Something that is wondrous is, is something that is outrageous or extraordinary to be surpassing or to astound you or to cause amazement. And so God's word, it is amazing. It ought to astound us. It ought to, to, to be extra, see, being seen as extraordinary to us. And we could spend all day talking about all of the wondrous, amazing things that God does through his word. Um, but these are just a few things that, that come to mind that show us his wondrous works throughout Scripture. Starting off with creation, right at the beginning of the Bible. God speaks, and everything comes into existence. That's pretty amazing. For there to be a God who speaks, and things come into existence. Wow. I mean, think about it. If you could just speak, and something would come to existence, that would be pretty amazing. If Jonathan were to say, give me a Chick-fil-A sandwich, God, although it's, it's, it is Sunday, that would be pretty amazing, right? You know, uh, that, that, if we could just speak something into existence, I mean, wow. But that's who our God is. He is, he is amazing. He speaks things into existence. He is the creator of all things. Think about the plagues in Egypt. All of those were to display the power and the glory of God. We could go through all 10 plagues and just see God's might, see his power, see his majesty, to see his wondrous works, to deliver his people from Egyptian slavery. And then, of course, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, could you imagine that? God parting a living body of water that is, that is deep and then crashing it on the Egyptian soldiers as they go through. Wow, that is amazing. The manna in the wilderness. I mean, if we were to walk outside and to see it raining bread from heaven, we would think that we were hallucinating or we were dreaming, right? We would just not believe that. But God in his power and his might to provide for his people, that is how he chose to provide for them. In raining down bread or manna from heaven to provide for them the hungry Israelites, the grumbling and hungry Israelites. Think about the grace and forgiveness that God displayed in David whenever he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah murdered in war. Think about the amazing mercy, grace, kindness, love, forgiveness that God displayed in that. God's Grace is, is amazing. 
to forgive somebody who has committed adultery and then had the husband killed in war. And David humbled himself, cried out to God, repented, and cried out for God to renew his soul. And God was faithful to do that. God forgave him. Wow, that is an amazing work that God is so loving and forgiving and gracious to those who cry out to him for forgiveness. Think about Jonah living in the great fish's belly for three days and three nights and then being spit up and still being alive. It's pretty remarkable, right? To live in, in, the, in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights and being spit up and still being alive. It's pretty, pretty extraordinary. Think about just the works of Jesus, his virgin birth, the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary so that the Son of God would come into this world to save sinners, his perfect life, his perfect fulfillment of the word. We could go on and on about all the things that he fulfilled throughout the Old Testament and his perfect life, his miracles of healing and feeding the 5,000, turning water to wine, controlling the weather, the storms on the sea, walking on water, his substitutionary death, his resurrection from the grave, all of these are so amazing. The Holy Spirit descending on God's people at Pentecost and being with them to testify about the risen Savior as they went to the known world and spread the gospel to, to those people. These are all true things that actually happened that God did. These are wondrous things that we behold as we open up these scriptures. How amazing is that? And we, we could go on and on and on and on for weeks and months about talking about God's great works and extraordinary things. In fact, we could go our whole lifetimes talking about that. We ought to share the same prayer as the psalmist Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. We need the Lord to illuminate and give us understanding of his word so that we would know what his wondrous works are in his word. The second description we see of the word is that the word of God overwhelms our desires. The word he uses here is to consume, uh, to, to be consumed with his law at all times. And this word consumed is to, to grind or to be worn down or uh, to, to become feeble um, or to be overwhelmed with desire. I think that that's, that's really the best um, description there is to be overwhelmed with desire. Just reading the word and just being broken and, and just being overwhelmed by how great God is and his amazing works. As we behold the wondrous things out of God's word, as we just talked about, it ought to ignite our desires. It ought to do something in us. As we read and observe about God's creation, and as we see God's creation out as we're out and about, it ought to cause us to, to be in awe and reverence of how mighty our God is, how powerful he is, how majestic he is that he would be able to just speak and things come into existence. It ought to, uh, uh, to lead us to see the creativity of God. As we read about God raining down manna in heaven, from, from heaven, it, it ought to, to move us and to humble us 
and to thank God for the provision that he provides in our own lives as well. It ought to ignite something in us. It's not just something that we know, but it's something that moves us. As we read about the extraordinary works of Jesus, then we ought to feel a variety of emotions. We ought to feel a deep conviction of our sin. We ought to to realize that, that we are created by a holy God, deserving of punishment because of our sin. And also it ought to to ignite thankfulness for God and his amazing grace. And also humility that God would save us when we can't save ourselves. It ought to to move us to tears at times that this sovereign God, this holy God, would choose to save sinners like us. I mean, we're not deserving. Why us? There's nothing in us that that, that is worthy of being saved. But God chooses to do that, and that ought to move us. That ought to stir something in our hearts. And as we read the commands in Scripture, we ought to long to want to obey God's Word and humbly depend on Him to do so. Desires are not merely something we feel in the moment. I, I, that's, some, that's a danger. We don't want to just feel a desire in in, in that moment, and then it just be done. But those desires, they ought to move us and and instruct us each and every moment of each and every day. The desires move us to action. It's not just an emotional encounter with God and then it's over, but those emotions, they ought to move us to action. So when we sing of God's word, uh, sing sing about God's word on Sunday mornings and, and God moves in us, um, then that's something that we want to take throughout the week. Those truths that we sing, we want to take throughout the week. It's not just something we experience on a Sunday morning, but it's something that we do each and every day, live out and keep with us and remind ourselves of it each, each and every day. So the desires are not to be merely in the moment, but they are to move us to action. And he says here, at all times. We are to be consumed with God's word at all times. So we're not merely to be satisfied in God's word in our devotional time or on Sunday morning as we hear the teaching of God's word or during base groups or or maybe during an accountability or discipling relationship that you may have. No, we are to be consumed with God's word all throughout the day, each and every moment. So what are the moments throughout the day that perhaps you could use to delight in God's word, to remind yourself of God's word. If we're to to be consumed with his thoughts at all times throughout the day, then when is that for you? Um, Perhaps it's uh, on your commute to work or just as you're driving in the car somewhere. Maybe it's while you're getting a shower, just quoting uh, scripture that you've been trying to memorize or thinking and praying uh, to God. Maybe it's your lunch break or a different break that you have during work. Maybe it's while you're using the bathroom. Yes, I said it. Um, Maybe it's um, during your kid's nap time or maybe while your kids are going out playing with friends or wherever it may be. What are those moments throughout the day that that you can spend to to let the Word of God marinate in your mind, that you can meditate on God's Word and let it consume your mind? And now that we've kind of thought about those, maybe some of those times that you could 
let the Word of God consume your mind during those times throughout the day, what are the things that you're consuming your mind with in those moments, that those free moments that you have throughout the day? Perhaps it's thinking about work. Maybe it's so, using that time for social media. Maybe it, you're thinking about money. Maybe you're thinking about your college football team, reading about them. Um, I know I read about Clemson stuff. I'm, I'm guilty. Um, you know, what, what, are the, what are those things about you that maybe you spend a, 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 a ton of time doing? That none of those things are necessarily bad, but, but maybe if you spend so much time doing those things that you neglect to be consumed by the Word of God throughout the day. So again, none of those things are bad. We can do those things, but maybe, we're, maybe there's times we can cut those out, and maybe we can spend time filling our mind with the truth of God's Word throughout the day, because we need that. We must continually fill, God's, fill our minds with God's Word because that is what gives us life, and that is what gives us true joy and delight. So those are the two descriptions we see, and there's four actions in response to those descriptions of the Word. The first being to meditate on the Word. Meditate on the Word. Look at verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. So even though there were princes, there were people plotting to harm or potentially even kill the psalmist, he said, my delight is in you. I'm going to be consumed. I'm going to meditate on your law. And so no matter how crazy our lives may be, we, we need to meditate on God's word. We need it. We must do it. Because that is alone what's going to feed our souls. To meditate is to think intently and at length for spiritual purposes. To think intently and at length for spiritual purposes. And this takes time. It takes perseverance. It takes disciplining ourselves to sit down and, and to do that. It's not our natural tendency to want to spend a long amount of time to, to do that. Um, and so it takes time. It takes discipline. It takes perseverance. And, and why would we meditate? Why do we need to meditate on God's Word? Why do we need to think intently and at length for spiritual purposes on God's Word? Well, first of all, God's Word is deep. We've been in Romans. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And we see the depths and riches of God's wisdom and knowledge in the word of God. We see it revealed in the word of God. And so because God's word is deep, we have to contemplate. We have to consider what his word says. We have to think about what his word is saying. We have to think intently about what the scriptures are saying. And secondly, we would meditate to know the word. If we just merely skim the scriptures and just check the box off that we've, we've read the word, well, do we really know it? I mean, I know it's summertime, but I know there's a lot of teenagers in here. Uh, if, you, if you were to study for a test and you just you know, glanced over your notes one time and just said, all right, I studied for the test, I'm ready, you probably won't do so well, right? You, you have to go and you have to read over your notes. You have to study. You have to, you have to recite it out loud. You have to quiz yourself. You have to write down uh, questions that you have. You have to go to your, your classmate and ask them questions. It takes time, right, to study for a test, to read over your material, to your, your notes, to be prepared. Well, in a similar way, and, and far more important way, we have to spend time doing that with the Word of God. Uh, we have to take time to spend 
uh, to, to actually know what the Word says. Thirdly, to fight sin. Look at just up a couple of verses in Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. So we store up God's word. We meditate on God's word in our hearts so that we would not sin against God. So as we truly know the word, in those moments where we are tempted throughout the day, we will be able to recall the truth of God's word, to fill our mind with that, that we might fight against sin. And fourthly, to proclaim the word. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So as we know the word, as you encounter that person in the grocery store, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the pool, at the restaurant you go to, the coffee shop you go to, and they ask you questions about what you believe, then we, if we have meditated on the Word and we know the Word, then we are ready to give a defense with gentleness and respect to those who, who, who we encounter. And so as we meditate on the Word, we are able to more faithfully proclaim the Word. Now, how do you meditate? That's why we meditate, but how? Well, we read, we reread, and reread, and reread multiple times. Ask questions about the text. What was going on in that time? Why would it say this? What, what other scriptures say stuff about this passage as well? Maybe journaling, writing out your thoughts. Oftentimes when we write out things, it, it helps us to, to remember them. Reading out loud, that, that's, just, just, that's just helpful in a different way of hearing it. Listening to the word. Discuss it with others. Hey, I read this the other day. You know, what, what do you think about this? You know, or this, this really stirred my heart. And then maybe that other person has a different angle of it and like, oh yeah, but also think about this. And you're like, oh wow, you're, you're sharpening one another and you're, you're helping one another. Praying the text. Is, is, is very helpful in that. Maybe reading various translations of the Bible to see how it's phrased in different, different uh, translations. Memorizing the Word is, is extremely helpful in meditating on it because then you have it throughout the day. So this is, this is also something that, generally speaking, uh, we need to have a you know, quiet and, and maybe a, a non-distracting setting if possible, although that's not always possible. Um, and I think that's something that we, as a culture, struggle with. So it's okay to be quiet. It's okay to be still. It's okay to not always have something, scroll something through your phone. Or it's okay to have a down moment and to think and to meditate on God's Word. And I think that's something that we, we struggle with as a culture. I know I struggle with it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I've always got to be doing something on my phone or talking to somebody or watching something or, or doing something. But it's okay to be quiet, to be still, and, and to think about what God's Word says. We don't always have to be doing something. We can be thinking about what God's Word says. You know, whenever we contemplated um, purchasing this building, this is some, that's something that took a lot of time, took a lot of effort, took a lot of research. Um, we, 
you know, it was a major decision, right? And so we really thought this through. The, the elders and, um, and everybody who was, who was on that team of looking for that, uh, you know, we, we were considering why would it be beneficial for us to have our own building. Um, you know, we had to research, you know, all of the location, different locations or properties, um, you know, talking with a real estate agent, um, considering the finances, thinking through that, having the capital campaign, um, the congregation providing input, and of course, once we found this location, we came and visited the, the, you know, had an open house a couple times for people to come and look at it, ministry leaders to think through how could we use this, is, is this going to work for us, um, all kinds of things. Does this fit our needs? Um, just heavily inspecting and thinking through and praying, is this the right fit for us? We could go on and on about all the things that went into purchasing this building, but in short, we really considered, thought through, meditated, just really, really uh, took time and effort and, and perseverance to consider, is this the right fit for us? And this, this ought to be a similar mindset that we have to the Word. It takes time, it takes research, it takes effort. Um, it, it's, it's something that, that, that we need to do at length. It's not just something that we just make a split decision or just read it real quickly and then we're done with it. It's something that takes time. And, um, and so we must be faithful to, 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 to meditate on the Word, to know it deeply to have it on our hearts so that we can be consumed with it at all times throughout the day. Second, second response or action uh, to uh, what the Word is, is, is we are to delight in the Word. To delight in something is to, uh, to f- have a feeling of extreme pleasure or satisfaction. Extreme pleasure or satisfaction. Does that describe your time in the Word? Man, it is, a, it is extreme joy and satisfaction as I spend time in the Word. Is that what you say about your time in the Scriptures? What are the things in your life that, that, that would describe you, that it brings you extreme pleasure or satisfaction? What are the things that you get so amped up about and excited about that you just can't wait till you can do it or until that, that vacation or whatever it may be? What are those things that you spend hours thinking about and mulling over and talking about with your friends? What brings you the greatest joy? Do you live for the weekend? Is that your greatest joy? Maybe there's a specific TV show or TV shows that you're like, oh man, I can't wait till Monday night at 9 because whatever's coming on, you know, at Monday night at 9. Or, and that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm living for. That gives me the greatest joy. Or, man, I can't wait to get home and so I can, you know, watch all of these episodes on Netflix, you know, of this show. I'm, I'm hooked to it. Or maybe there's sports teams or maybe you participate in different sports and you're like, man, that's, that's what gives me purpose. That's what gives me joy. Maybe it's your family, spending time with them. Maybe it's thinking about that vacation that you're going to have in a couple weeks or, you know, or whatever, years. Um, maybe it's social media that, man, I'm just consumed by that. This, that just gives me joy to know what everybody else is doing. Maybe it's video games, you know, spending time just hours upon hours. Man, I can't wait till I get to play this game with my friend because it, it's going to bring me so much joy. Or maybe it's your kids. Whatever it may be, what are those things that you just get so amped up about? And again, as I said earlier, none of these things are necessarily bad. We can do these things. And I want to be clear on that. But if, if, we, if those are the only things that we get truly excited about and find true joy in, then that is a problem. Because only true joy and delight comes from the Lord. Now, consider those things that maybe you get so amped up about and so excited about. 
Now, what would it be like if you had that, applied that same excitement, that same joy and delight and anticipation as you did to spending time with God? What would that look like? Perhaps many of you already do that, and if so, keep going. Praise God, keep growing in that. But if not, beg God that he would give you that desire. God, I get so excited about this TV show or this sports team. God, would you give me a greater desire for you? Would I get so excited about you, more excited about you than I would these other things? Nothing in this world, nothing in this world can ultimately satisfy our souls but God. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are your words, sweeter than honey. Does God's word taste sweet to you? Do you long for more? Do you find your ultimate satisfaction in him? That is the mindset we are to have, to delight in the word. Thirdly, we are to use the word for counsel. The, the word of God, is our, they are our counselors. They are something that provides direction or advice to a decision or course of action that we are to have. So it's to direct our lives. So the word of God is, it provides counsel for the people of God. Now, it may not, it's not going to speak to every single specific situation in our lives, we know that. It doesn't talk about who, who we're to marry, what college we're to go to, all those things. Yet, there are principles that we see throughout the Word that, that can inform decisions like that. But it does, it does speaks to all that we need for life and for godliness. And counseling can range from anywhere from very informal, everyday conversations to very formal, sit-down counseling with somebody. So everyday conversations just could be as we go, as we're hanging out of the pool or at the park or doing work on some, a project in your house, uh, or something at the church, or whatever it may be, you're talking about your, what's going on in your lives, you're encouraging one another with the truth of God's word, very informal, just encouraging one another. Maybe it's base groups, as you get together in, in your base groups throughout the week, uh, you're able to speak the truth and share what's going on in your lives, you're able to encourage one another, pray for one another, counsel one another with the word of God, very, uh, again, a pretty informal, converse, uh, informal setting. Uh, it could be counseling just as you hear the Word of God taught. Um, you, you could receive counsel or direction in how you're to live your life. It also could be formal sit-down counseling. Maybe there's an issue that you just need to really sit down with somebody like a pastor can or maybe even a professional counselor um, that, that can walk through things with you. There, uh, that, that also is included in counseling, to sit down and, and, and address a very specific uh, thing in your life uh, over an extended period of time. And I do want to make note here that we do have free resources, counseling resources, actually in our, um, in our resource room. Uh, there are CCEF booklets. They're free. Uh, they, there's uh, ones on like divorce, singleness, loneliness, adultery, anger, suicide, all kinds of things in there that are free. Uh, they're Bible-centered resources that, that are free to our church, to free, free to people in our community, uh, just as a resource. just want to make note of that. I, I thought that this would be an appropriate time to to make note of that. Um, so the Word of God, they are our counselors. They are to provide direction in our lives. Fourthly, we are to obey the Word. In verse 17, the psalmist describes himself as a servant. And, and really here, it's, it's describing someone who is close to the Lord and desires to be used for his sake. I'm a servant to you, God. I, I want to be used for you. Do with me as you will. 
And he says in verse 17, to deal bountifully with your servant, to deal bountifully. So to deal bountifully is, is basically repayment or recompense. And so if I am, uh, Lord, if you're going to pour out your blessings upon me, um, on your servant, do it so that I might keep your word. Bless me, God, so that I might keep your word. However, Lord, if, it's, if, it, if I need to be disciplined, whatever I need, if I've sinned against you and I need to be disciplined, God, do it so that I might live and obey your word. So whatever the, I deserve in response to the way I live, Lord, do it so that I might live and obey your word whether that's you pouring out your blessing upon me or whether that's disciplining me so that I might live and obey your word. So whatever I deserve, Lord, give that to me so that I would be made more holy and so that I would live for you and obey your word. I'm going to look at a Hebrew, Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there from whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So I go to the disciplining part because it's easy to say, God, bless me so that I would live and obey you. It's easy, it's easy to kind of just... To, to, to live and obey God, uh, live for and obey God whenever we receive the blessings of God. Um, but it's, it's sometimes it's challenging whenever we may experience the discipline of the Lord. And so the purpose of God disciplining his children is so that we might be made more holy, so that we would be more faithful to live for and obey God's word, so that we'd be, we would be conformed more to his image. And this is the same idea that the psalmist is getting at. Lord, Deal with me however I deserve to be dealt with so that I would be made more holy. And so do you have that mindset? Do you desire that whatever God must do in your life to, to make you more holy, that he would do it? And I challenge all of us to pray, Lord, help me to desire to be holy more so than I desire to be comfortable. Lord, I beg you to reveal the areas in my life that I need to discipline myself and that you need to discipline me that I might be more holy. Would that be our prayer? The purpose God has for our lives is that we would glorify him by delighting in his word and obeying his word. So that is our purpose, and he uses his blessings on us and also his discipline on us to, to bring that about. The word of God is wondrous, and it ought to overwhelm our desires. It ought to move in us. And we are to delight and meditate on God's word. We are to use them as counselors. And ultimately, we are called to obey God's word. So these are some questions for us to consider this morning. Do you believe that the word of God is extraordinary or wondrous and it ought to be longed for? 
Does your life show this? That you believe that God's word is wondrous and it ought to be longed for and consume my mind at all times? What does consume your mind throughout the day? What consumes your thoughts? What consumes your time? What are those things that are competing with your, your worship of God and delight in God? What do you meditate on the most? What do you consider most of the time throughout the day? What brings you the greatest delight? What brings you the greatest joy in this world? Where do you go for counsel and advice? What are the things that give direction in your life? Is it the Word of God? Is it the people of God speaking the Word of God in your life? Or is it something else? Is the culture shaping and giving you direction in your life? Or is it the Word of God that is giving direction in your life? What shapes the way that you live? Is it the Scriptures or is it the, wor- the world? So consider those questions. Maybe even journal your thoughts as you're thinking about those questions, the answers in your own life. I'm going to close with a quote from George Mueller, an an evangelist from the 1800s. He says this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. I saw the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of God's word and meditation to it. May we be a people who gives ourselves, our lives, to reading and meditating on the word of God that our souls might be happy in God. Church, would you please pray with me? Lord, we acknowledge that the word we hold in our hands today is your very breath. It is your word. We believe it, Lord, and we know that it reveals to us who you are and your plan of redemption. We thank you for your provision of your word. We thank you that we have access to it. And Lord, we confess that we have all disobeyed your word. We have all fallen short of your perfect standard. And God, we know that we are deserving of eternal punishment because of our disobedience to you. God, we thank you so much that even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our rebellion, deserving of eternal punishment, God, you sent your son to be scorned, to be mocked on our behalf, to be our perfect substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, to be buried and on the third day rise from the dead. Oh God, we praise you for that. We are humbled by that wondrous work that you did through your son and that we see in your word. 
God, we praise you. And God, would you help us in light of that, that we would delight, that we would meditate, that we would long for, and that we would obey your word. Because God, it is only in you that we can be truly satisfied. So Lord, help us to be to delight in you, to know your word, to meditate on your word, to long for your word, to let it consume our minds throughout the day, every day. Lord, so that we would be happy in you. So Lord, would you do that in us? We pray in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.